This week on Double-Edged Sword, cutting to the heart of a deceptive culture, Father Jarrett Conradi talks about courageous Catholic disciples. Who were some disciples that influenced Father Jarrett? How do we become courageous Catholic disciples? Well, let's find out. Father Jarrett is being interviewed by Divine Mercy Radio's on-air host, Ken Billinger. Father Jarrett Conradi, pastor of St. Nicholas of Myra Parish in Hayes and St. Francis of Assisi in Munger. Father Jarrett was the full-time vocations director for the Diocese of Salina for three years, part-time for another three years, and serves, continues to serve on the vocations committee. Father Jarrett ordained May 28, 2005. Gosh, it seems like a long time ago, and you look so young. So, <laughs> and have been blessing to a great blessing to the Salina Diocese ever since. We welcome in Father Jarrett Conradi. My first answer, name the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Good and gracious God, your Son, Jesus Christ, invites all people to follow him and become his disciples. Touch our hearts, enlighten our minds, and stir our spirit. Help us daily to take up our cross and follow him by loving his word and proclaiming his good news to those around us. May our faith in you increase. May our hunger for the gospel intensify. And may our parish be strengthened as we learn to love one another as he has loved us. For this we pray through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right, well, back to our question. Um, and from your perspective, there are four types of Catholics in the church, and share your thoughts on that. You talk about four different types. Yeah, and this is actually, I mean, I think probably people could categorize Catholics in, in a wide variety of ways, and they do. And I, I just was reflecting on that question of courageous Catholic discipleship, Catholic disciple. Uh, I first, I guess, I want to put a disclaimer out there that uh, this conversation <laughs> certainly does not in any way claim that uh, I myself, in talking about this topic, am always and everywhere a courageous Catholic disciple. Uh, so I want to put that out there as a disclaimer first, but then also not to in any way peg anybody into a particular category as well. Um, I guess the that last thing is that uh, the reality is, is I think as Catholics, as Christians, perhaps at different times in our lives, depending on what, what journeys we're walking through, what paths, what life decisions and questions, uh, we may or may not shift and sift through these various areas of our walk with Christ. Um, but I think as I've heard different talks on the topic and, and thinking about it just myself, uh, there's definitely the cradle Catholic. So those who I would classify as sort of culturally born into the faith, raised in the faith. Um, most cradle Catholics, I would say, not not all, but uh, one of the characteristics is they participate in the sacramental life of the church, but in a lot of ways, it probably doesn't go a lot further than that. And so uh, cradle Catholics, I would kind of categorize as that. Um, and then I would say there's cafeteria Catholics, and those may or may not be cradle Catholics, but uh, Catholics who, as they grow into adulthood, kind of pick and choose what it is that they like about the Catholic Church, like about the moral teachings of the Church. They kind of pick and choose according to what their lifestyle is. Uh, and then there's what I would call, in a sense, practicing or, or evangelical 
Catholics. Um, those would be Catholics who are living a personal relationship with Christ and living out their call to evangelize, living out their call, who are in a relationship with Christ and his church and uh, certainly are involved in the sacramental life of the church, involved in, in devotional relationships with the saints, with our Blessed Mother. Um, and then I, I would say, finally, and sometimes I think this might be to some an offensive category, but sort of a radical fundamentalist Catholic, um, and that's not to say that, well, so I, I would cl classify that as sort of 100% of the time, every single scenario and situation is is black and white, and there is zero gray, there's zero maneuver, and when it comes to any particular situation or person is either you're in or you're out, uh, really has perhaps little desire to evangelize a person if they're not uh, sort of in the boat as they might claim. And these also, I, I would say the, the negative, and I guess that's part of the next question, but the, the negative of that particular group is that they don't, in a sense, I think at times don't live the joy-filled relationship with Christ that is attractive and desirable and in many ways it can be a critical group and a, and a group that in some ways I, w I would say I've, I've encountered some who are grumpy uh, radical fundamentalist Catholics so <laughs> anyway that's, a, and, that's really and I think with each of those categories like I said I think in some ways I've found and even in my own journey that I've sh sort of shifted and s and slid and back and forth in various ways through some of those different categories mm -hmm. but so uh, we you, you kind of touched a little on this, but what mm -hmm. mentalities within these groups you were talking about the nominal or cultural Catholic, the cafeteria Catholic, the practicing Catholic and the radical fundamentalist. But what are some of the mentalities within these groups that maybe pose obstacles to courageous discipleship? Yeah, I think I think one of the um, one of the characteristics or one of the phrases that I've heard uh, throughout the years is that. The number one thing that attracts non-Catholics to the Catholic Church is Catholics on fire and their relationship with Christ um, and, and his church. I would say sort of conversely, the reality is the number one thing that turns people away from a relationship with Christ and the church is either grumpy Catholics or... Catholics who are sort of superficial in the way that they live out their lives. And so I guess in, in getting specific with some of those categories, I think the the cradle Catholic, one of the, the challenges that a cradle Catholic uh, can do is that uh, there can be within the, the life of the cradle Catholic, it's like I go to mass on Sunday, but it doesn't affect my relationship with Christ throughout the week. It doesn't affect the way that I talk. It doesn't affect the way that I act. It doesn't affect, you know, what I'm doing with my, my time in terms of how I treat people and, and the party scene and all of those things that it doesn't, it doesn't filter into any of that. And so that's obviously a dangerous thing when it comes to non-Catholics perceiving a cradle Catholic who's not living it. Um, and then, and then so to, uh, with cafeteria Catholic, if it's just sort of pick and choose what, what you like, what you want, uh, I don't know that that seems very attractive when it comes to 
uh, being a Catholic, especially with young people today, I think they are looking for not wishy-washy. They're not looking for a theology that shifts and change with the times and seasons, but rather they're looking for a rock. They're looking for something to stand on and in, in, in a world that's very much shifting around uh, and there's no truth and there's no, you know, it's a relativism that, uh, that they experience in their own homes and in many ways shaky foundations from broken families and all of those things. So they're looking for some stability. And so a cafeteria Catholic, I think, in some ways is, uh, and if, what's the word? basically in the face of that uh, by just sort of picking and choosing the truths that they desire for themselves and their mm-hmm. lifestyle. Uh, and then I already kind of made reference to the grumpy uh, Catholic as far as the some of those who might be radical fundamentalist Catholic. Um, yeah. So let's talk about, we're talking about courageous Catholic discipleship. Who would you consider to be an example of that, Father, uh, as far as courageous well, I was thinking about that, yeah, for sure in, in my own life as I was discerning and as I was just coming into my faith, I call myself sort of a, a revert in many ways that I was, I grew up as a cradle Catholic. I grew up kind of jumping through the sacramental hoops because that was what that was the expectation. Uh, and it wasn't until I got into college that I sort of came face to face with the cha- first challenges against my Catholic faith, but then it was also uh, as I entered into deep, diving deeper into the faith. Um, and the first person, uh, well, there's a lot of individuals that had an impact, but I think the courageous disciple of that generation would be uh, Pope St. John Paul II. Um, I think in so many ways he had a huge impact on my life, and I he I would think he was one of the most v- most visible individuals, like the most seen people mm-hmm. in the twentieth century in terms yeah. of by people face to like face to face that actually saw him in person. Um, not necessarily one on one, but saw him, you know, in an arena or saw yeah. him at a World Youth Day or that kind of thing. And so I actually had the opportunity to see him six six different times, which was really? such a blessing, yeah, wow. over the years of Seminary. Well, even just before that, I was at World Youth Day in in Denver and World Youth Day in Toronto, World Youth Day in Rome, and then St. Louis. There was a rally at one point, and and then a couple of trips to Rome uh, besides that World Youth Day. Uh, so it, he had a huge impact on me, and I think it was so much sort of his holiness, holiness of life, uh, his devotion. Um, to, to not only to a relationship with Christ, but his devotion to the Blessed Mother, his devotion to the to, to the saints, uh, and that example and witness of joy, I think truly that came across uh, in that encounter. I think it was in St. Louis that I remember, it was in the St. Louis Blues Arena that they had this youth rally, and it was, we were all sitting there watching the big screen. Well, we were actually watching live music, and every 10 minutes they would show the big screen, and it would show his airplane had just landed, and the place would just erupt. And then and then 10 minutes later, they would go back to the big screen, and the place would erupt because he's coming down the street. And then he, then he was coming in the outside of the arena, and just, just nonstop. And then he entered the building, and it was just crazy. And then they, they gave him a St. Louis Blues jersey, I think at one point, and he ended up. <laughs> I, I remember him taking his crozier and actually, and actually, like uh, moving it as though it were a hockey stick. <laughs> and I, uh, for whatever reason, that just sticks in my mind because I was a impressionable young man at that point and discerning what what God had planned for my life, and it was just the joy um, 
uh, and just the the beauty of the life that he lived and how many people and I think many would say that from from my generation that uh, and, and beyond yeah. of the impact that he had in that way. Oh, he had a huge impact on me. I love him. I've got a big picture of him in prayer in my office because mm-hmm. he's a great reminder of the importance of prayer. They said John Paul wouldn't didn't go into prayer. He came out of prayer when he had to do things. He was always in yeah, prayer. Yeah. I mean, great stories about him. He traveled like three quarters of a million miles yeah. in his in his pontificate during his pontificate, which yeah. just is mind boggling. Yeah. Just how how much travel he had, and and the fact that he, um, um, you know, the the one the stories that I always hear where they would have to hide the adoration chapel. Yeah, I was just thinking because of that. he threw off the schedule if he went in, uh-huh. but he did. And, and, and sometimes they would shut the doors of the adoration chapel and he would walk by. There's even a story of him walking by and sen- somehow sensing, sensing that it. that door led yeah. to the adoration chapel. He and so he wagged still his finger it. at Jeevish, his, his <laughs> assistant, and said, yeah. you know, and he goes in. So yeah. they know now that the schedule's thrown off because of his love for the Eucharist and Eucharistic adoration. Just yeah. in such an amazing guy yeah and then and then there's more i think closer to home i mean obviously uh, bishop robert Barron has been has been a big impact on me i actually had him in seminaries i had three classes with him and uh he was just dynamic and and just joy-filled and and uh obviously engaging the culture and engaging the questions and now he continues to do that with youtube videos and word on fire Mm -hmm. and all of the many things uh, in the evangelization realm that he's doing. And so that's another individual that I look at as a courageous Catholic disciple. Absolutely. So. Yeah. Yeah. Um, those are, yeah, two great examples. And um, uh, one of the things that, uh, and I, I know uh, Jason Everett does a great mm-hmm. talk on John Paul, and, and I've yeah, listened to that a number of times as well. And uh, the other thing that and he was talking, I don't know if this happened everywhere he went, but you talked about the when you were in St. Louis, the the kids just the young people erupting mm-hmm. when he came in but uh, i know there was at one point where they they were chanting john paul ii we love you john paul ii we love you and his comment back was perhaps the pope loves you more yeah i mean and it yeah. was just i can't imagine i, I just with, wish the youth today could experience yeah. uh, him but yeah. if they if they can't experience him but at least um, they can obviously pray for his intercession, but yeah. also read about him and learn about him and get right. to know. There's right. videos out there and things like that. So for sure. We talked about examples of courageous discipleship to, to John Paul, of course, uh, John Paul the Great, and uh, you mentioned Bishop Robert Barron. What are key characteristics of a courageous disciple? Yeah, so I think as I look at those, I look at those individuals, and I kind of made reference to that that there's something about joy, and and I think joy is sometimes a misunderstood word because oftentimes it's equated with with happiness, uh, and there's such a difference between just sort of an external happiness and a sense of deeper, deeper spiritual joy, and, and so I would say one of the characteristics that I think where that comes from is when you are in an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ, uh, when you are in, in a life of prayer and your day revolves around prayer and communication with Christ, then it's inevitable that you're going to be living out the fruits of the Spirit. And I think, you know, in many ways, the fruits of the Spirit are, are a lot of the characteristics that I would look at uh, as characteristics of, of a Catholic disciple. And, and uh, so it's, you know, kindness, uh, patience, gentleness, 
um, and ultimately joy, but also that sense of peace. And I, I know peace is another word that I kind of gets thrown around, but I don't know if there, if there's a satisfactory definition. And I don't know that I don't know that we can give a satisfactory definition because there's both peace that we sense in someone else, and I think that's what attracts a lot of people to Catholicism to Christians is that when they encounter somebody who is genuine, who's not superficial, um, who's living out their courageous Catholic discipleship when they come into encounter with that person that they actually encounter something that and the word peace is oftentimes used to describe sort of this this internal um, sort of satisfaction with who they are where they are what they're doing Uh, and I think that's what happens when we walk in that courageous Catholic discipleship is that we are individuals uh, that are sort of um, so okay, let me let me get at what I'm trying to say here because sometimes the the stories of the saints are painted as pictures of sort of these individuals who just walked miraculously with our Lord, uh, and so that's where the miracles come from, and they're floating around and they're speaking, you know, <laughs> whatever in tongues, or they're they're healing people, or they're uh, float, you know, they're they're bilocating, or they've got the stigmata or whatever, like all of these miraculous things. And I think sometimes that become that becomes a little overwhelming in the conversation because you're like, well. <laughs> I'm not. <laughs> how could I possibly uh, even start to consider that as a as a possibility for myself? So I guess I don't want to. I don't want to describe the sense of peace and the sense of joy and the sense of kindness as though it's something that they encounter a hundred percent of the time, a hundred percent of the day, no matter what the situation, no matter what the scenario, uh, because all of us are human beings and all of us right. fail. And I think yeah. that's. I think it's a failure to view the saints as though they were perfection, you know, and that uh, it doesn't it, it doesn't exactly. help us in terms of attain attainability, but then it also doesn't help us uh, in terms of truth because they weren't. I mean, right. in many ways, even though they had a relationship with Christ, there's still s- stories of saints who were perhaps at times at times in their life grumpy or critical or whatever. Augustine Uh, comes to mind for me, you know, here's somebody. And I think we have to look at that knowing that they didn't live the perfect life. Mm -hmm. We're so, so often. And I, I want to jump back to John Paul for a minute, because one of the things I do remember him saying, and he, he really encouraged the young people at the time to, he encouraged them to be courageous and to be saints. Mm -hmm. And people would ask him, aren't you asking a lot of the young people? He said, absolutely not. They they can do it. But we, uh, you know, I think that's the thing to, to see, especially to see the young people today on fire for the faith and that drive to really to attain that holiness. And he mm-hmm. had one of the things that he encouraged uh, young people to do too. And I think it's a beautiful thing. But uh, uh, yeah, along the way, I think sometimes we can just set the bar so high and say there's, you know, it, then it becomes what seem, it seemingly becomes unattainable at mm-hmm. that point. I like the image of the, uh, I think it's like a river flowing into a, a, a reservoir. And if that river continues to flow into the reservoir and there's no water, you know, being released from the reservoir, um, then eventually that reservoir is going to overflow. And I, I think it's a beautiful image of the spiritual life of what we're shooting for is that there's a constant flow of God's grace into our hearts, into our lives. And what inevitably happens when we have that open pathway of relationship with Christ is then that grace overflows to those around us, to those that we encounter, to those that we act 
uh, interact with on a regular basis. And the danger for us is when we don't have that open pathway of grace flowing into our life, then we try to give the graces and there's nothing there within our reservoir. And that's why as we spill out the the grace of God, we have to continue to allow that that and that's why you know saint after saint theologian after theologian individual trying to walk the journey catholic after catholic christian after uh is is the reality that that a relationship of prayer with jesus christ is is one of the key characteristics that all of these people had in common because it was the the lifeline of grace that allowed them to actually to live it to exude it exude it in terms of that uh, catholic discipleship mm-hmm. so We need to take a short break right now, but stay tuned to Divine Mercy Radio. Whether you're listening via radio, computer, smartphone app, or Amazon Echo, please know we'll be right back with more from Father Jarek Conradi talking about Courageous Catholic Disciples. We're back on Double-Edged Sword Cutting to the Heart of a Deceptive Culture. Courageous Catholic Disciples with Father Jared Conradi. Ken Billinger conducts the interview. Our guest is Father Jared Conradi on Courageous Catholic Discipleship. You talked about the key characteristics of Courageous Catholic Disciples. Have you seen the fruits of a courageous disciple in your own life and in, in your ministry? Yeah, so I would say both both in terms of the personal ministry that I have done, but then also I think individuals uh, seeing them live in a, in a more tangible way, uh, courageous Catholic discipleship. Because one of the one of the key words of that whole phrase, courageous Catholic disciple, is that first word, which is courageous. And we live in a culture that, uh, in many ways, doesn't want us to be courageous. Wants us to. Yes, you can be a person of faith, but we're not going to like it, and we don't want to see it, and you keep it in your churches, and that's fine, and you get it out of the public square, and you get it out of the, you know, you get it out of the out of the public buildings and the public offices and the public schools, and you keep it to yourself, whereas, you know, the call of the gospel is, is not that. It is to, to have it enter into every facet of our life, of our, of our relationship with Christ, of our career, of uh, basically all of the encounters. And, and that's the challenge of the courageous Catholic disciple, and this is going a little bit away from that particular question, is that, that uh, reality of the integration into every aspect of, of how we live out our, our uh, relationship with Christ. But not in such a way that it's in your face. And I think that's the danger is we want to take, I just know, I think a lot of times I encounter in my own life, when I had my reversion to the Catholic faith, I was just on fire. I was so excited and I wanted to jam Jesus down people's throats. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and uh, I use that image also with, you know, with the apostles as they were, you know, receiving over a three year period, all of the, the, the ins and outs of Christ's mission in their lives is uh, I'm sure they were in, in some ways, once they received the Holy Spirit and, and uh, were ready to take it out to people that they, you know, that they wanted to force it on people. 
And the reality is that that rarely works. Uh, argumentation about faith things rarely works. You know, the, the best theological arguments and, the, and just reading from the catechism rarely works. Uh, it is building relationships with individuals. And once the relationship has been established, slowly but surely over a period of times, whether it's days, weeks, slowly introducing them to this person that I know, that I love, being Jesus Christ, and starting to sort of share that. And it's when you've established that relationship that they then are, are a little bit more open to receiving it. And so in talking about the fruits in my own life and ministry, I would go all the way back to some of my experiences when I was even in seminary. I think of uh, I was in Beloit for a couple of summers as a seminarian, and this is a little shout out to the Beloit community. Uh, and in particular, the there was a ladies Legion of Mary group, and all of these ladies were they had uh, they would spend an entire morning in prayer each week. Um, and then they would have their Legion of Mary meetings. And at the end of their meetings, they would take their Legion of Mary, Marian statue, and they would go to someone's house who had a name that had been given them by the pastor of somebody who had sort of fallen on hard times, had fallen, in many ways, had fallen away from practicing their faith. And they would take this image, they would take this Marian statue and they would show up at the doorstep and they would ask to, to kind of talk and, and, and see if they were willing to talk and discuss. And uh, that, for me, when I was at that stage in my life, that freaked me out like more than anything. Like <laughs> the, that was not a comfort zone for me is, is, you know, showing up on someone's doorstep and, and with a statue of Mary and wanting to talk to them about, you know, faith and life and, and what's going on. Mm. But inevitably, there was story after story of families that came back to the faith through a process of first starting with that instigator as part of their, as part of their, uh, as part of them being engaged by the parish. And in particular, this, these ladies in the Legion of Mary, and they had story after story of, of individuals that were if not transformed, at least impacted to the degree that it it affected the way that they were living their faith or not living their faith. And so that I think of that as like, that is really courageous Catholic discipleship. And they did it in such a way that it wasn't abrasive, it wasn't offensive. These individuals, you know, if they weren't, if they didn't have time or there was something going on, and that, that was the case, sometimes they weren't home or they didn't answer the door or that kind of thing. But they did it in such a way that it came across as as an act of love, as a, as a reaching out, mm. as a proposal of of you know coming back to church and that kind of thing. And for whatever reason, I think because of their prayer life and the way that they did it, uh, it, it had a, a huge impact. So that's that was one of the first. I think uh, as I think about and reflect upon, it was one of those the first. Uh, examples of real courageous Catholic discipleship because we as Catholics have a horribly bad reputation for not being evangelizers. Um, You can't be Christian and not evangelize. I mean, you, that's just part of the gospel message. That's part of the fundamental characteristic of who we are. And so I think that's definitely one of the key characteristics is, is an evangelizer, but then also it's one of the key things that I've seen uh, affecting. And, and again, I think it has to be different than 
has to be different modes in today's culture than what perhaps, you know, it's not standing on the, on the street corner yelling right. at people or holding up a sign about, you know, you're going to hell or whatever, but right. it is engaging people within the run of our career, within the run of our, our, you know, gym that we go to or within the, within the, the realm of school PTA meetings or whatever it is to engage people that we know that we've established a relationship with and that, uh, that God's putting it on our heart to, sure. and that's, that's one of the amazing things is when you're in a life of prayer, there's story after story of so many, so many talks and theologians and converts to the Catholic faith that I've heard that they'll talk about how God speaks to their hearts and how he'll put it on my heart to speak a word of, of his presence to, to somebody and how that was exactly the word that they needed to hear at that particular time. And so I would say so those are some of the fruits that I've encountered externally prior to becoming a priest, but then also in my own life and ministry, it's it's amazing to see uh, the way that God has worked despite me in many ways through ministry, through entering into a, yeah, it's, it is crazy. <laughs> The the sharings of impact that uh, that people have had perhaps through me uh, in ways that I'm like man I don't I don't know what you're talking about like I'll I mean one of the examples and I've probably used this on the air before but the example of preaching for example like I'll have a homily that I feel like is clicking everything f- fell into place uh, I've got some great images some great examples maybe even a joke or something something that will make people laugh or whatever and I give it and it seems like people are clicking and it just came you know everything's falling into line as I as I preach it and inevitably those are not the ones that as I as I greet people after mass that that people and hearts are transformed inevitably it's the homily that I can't, I mean, for the life of me, I'm struggling to come up with an idea. I'm overwhelmed with something else going on, distracted, uh, preaching. You know, it feels like, I feels like I'm bumbling up there. It feels like the words are falling out of my mouth onto the floor and not making it out to the pews in any way. (laughs) And it's those moments, and this is what I love about our faith and about what the Spirit does with us, is that it's those moments, those homilies where somebody will inevitably come up and be like, Father, you're, it was like you're speaking directly to me at Mass. And I I mean, it spoke exactly to what I'm struggling with and it spoke exactly. And I'm like... Praise the Lord, because I <laughs> have no idea what I said, uh, and it sure as heck didn't feel like it was uh, anything profound. That's for sure. And so those are those are the things that keep me humbled, and uh, remind me that you know I'm not the one in control right. of this yeah. whole thing. Yeah, yeah exactly. One of the things, Father, when you were talking about um, just the pr- kind of the process of getting folks to, you know, uh, to share Christ with others, you talked about really building that relationship and then, you know, kind of taking it further and really kind of introducing God without jamming it down their throat. Mm-hmm. It's almost uh, similar to when you think about it, kind of similar to what Focus does. Would, would you mm-hmm. say that's 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 close? Or? Oh, yeah, for sure. That's how they start on any campus is it's it's. Rarely do they jump into conversations about Jesus Christ. I mean, they'll 
they'll establish Bible studies with people. So try to get engage them in being a part of a focused Bible study. And it's through that process of building relationships within the, within the context of the Bible study that they'll see who are the who are the key people, who are the key players, you know, who are the ones that need a one-on-one discipleship so that they can be then instilled as leaders within the community, within the campus that they're on. So yeah, it's definitely it's definitely a beautiful model that Curtis Martin has put together in terms of of winning people for Christ, building them up for Christ, and then sending them out to to take take on that role of missionary. So uh, I think that's I mean that's the message of the gospel in many ways, and so it's it's been formulated into the the focus model that they use is uh, first winning them, and the winning the winning is the challenging part certainly is how do you engage these people who are not interested? How do you engage these people who are not looking? And so you do it through athletics you do it through drawing them in through you know movies or music or you know you use sort of secular things as a means of establishing a, a an entryway into the life of of young college students today mm-hmm. uh, and I think it it's it's been a you know, obviously an extremely fruitful um, missionary work in our church in fact it's one of the greatest hopes is I hear so many times the statistical data for fallen away Catholics and the the nuns, the non-believers now that have, have no affiliation or the Catholics who have no belief in the Eucharist or all of those statistics that are kind of depressing. I, I, my mind comes back to focus in a lot of ways. And there's other, obviously other mini apostolates in the church that are having positive Inroads, but focus is one of those sort of highlights in my mind of being something that uh, that's having a, a huge impact in the life of young people today. Mm-hmm. And obviously, the young people are the the future career career individuals, politicians, you know, whatever uh, of our world. So, and I think another one that's had some success too is the St. Paul Street Evangelization. I think is also doing some. Yeah, I had had less encounter with them, but I've heard little bits and pieces about them, and I know they they have a presence in Kansas City. Uh, mm-hmm. In fact, I, I know at some point I have a good friend of mine, Father Bruce Ansoms, who's at uh, St. Ag- he works in the Tribunal, but lives right. at St. Agnes right. there in uh, Roland Park. And uh, so anyway. I know there were some, I think it was the St. Paul uh, Street missionaries that yeah. that lived there in one of their old convents or yeah. something like that. Yeah, so. I think so. Father Bruce yeah. is a great guy. We, uh, yeah. I see him often because uh, I help it once in a while. Of course, he emcees for the Archbishop. Uh-huh, so that's true, yep. We get a chance to see him. Uh, usually when there's something at our parish, I call him or text him and say, okay, what do you need? And yeah. and then he'll say, well, if you want to emcee the servers. And so I jump in and, yep. and do that too. He's, he's a, He was our associate pastor for a number of years. No, what parish? Church of the Ascension. Okay, sure. So yep. yeah, yep. So yeah, it was. Uh, it's uh, Father Bruce is great. We love him, and yep. and uh, uh, but anyway, the uh, the one thing that I mean, it's great to see that those different things happening. What we, I'm curious to 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 get your thoughts on this because it seems like, at least in the last I don't know how many years, maybe because I paid more attention to it, it seems like. There's a, a real surge of young people that are hungry for the faith that are, I mean, they kind of like they want the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth. Yeah. You mentioned that earlier. Yeah. But are those numbers, do they seem to be growing? Because it almost feels like they are. Yeah. It, uh, I, I think it probably depends on where you go, uh, for one thing. So I think there's probably certain university campuses in our nation where the... 
how should I say politically correct? I <laughs> know the uh, the very sort of liberal professors and such are are really having an impact on young people. Mm-hmm. So on one level, right. I think there is a, a great influence of our culture and the sway of our culture in a lot of young people's lives. But within the context of you know of focus of of university campus ministries in many ways, there is from what I'm seeing. Uh, an inroad, and I think one of the, this sounds bad in some ways, but one of the reasons that we should have hope is because is because of the fallenness of our current culture in so many ways. And I think, and I, I said this earlier, is these young people are growing up in broken broken families, broken lives, broken experiences of of love and and the sexual relationship and in so many ways seeing distortions and 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 perhaps even testing it out for themselves in terms of romantic relationships and and finding a lack of peace and satisfaction in that and so what that inevitably does if they're experiencing this at home if they're experiencing this in college is inevitably it 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 makes them think I'm made for more than this. You know, there's something within us that desires something more than what this world is offering right mm-hmm. now. And and so they I think in a lot of ways the the harvest is plentiful out there. Uh it's it's a question of are we are we engaging mm-hmm. the laborers and, and getting mm-hmm. the laborers out there. Um and that's I mean that is the reality is so often in, in the church it's been left up to the deacons and the priests and the religious and the you know the teachers of religious education or the teachers of the Catholic school and the reality is we're not the ones on the front lines in terms of the home uh, it's parents and so mm. parents have to be engaged in the faith life of their children they cannot pawn it off on on religious educators they cannot pawn it off on on catholic school teachers they they have to take a very real and and the reality is maybe they feel extremely ill-equipped and so that's part of what this conversation is all about is okay if you are ill-equipped are you at least recognizing the call to this role and are you desiring or at least allowing the possibility that you are going to take the next step Mm. and what that looks like yeah and uh I, I think that's an excellent point, and I, you know, I always have to admit I, I'm really passionate about, especially getting dads plugged in and taking mm-hmm. that spiritual leadership role. I mean, I, we don't address it that way because somebody hears that, be the spiritual leader of your family, yeah. and it's going to scare them to it's death. A, yeah. But the point is, is, and I always talk about the fact that I didn't do that. I, I, you know, our, our son went to Thomas More Prep. Um, but it, I was one of those that mm-hmm. said, okay, the school was going to form him, and that was the totally wrong attitude. Mm-hmm. I, I, I had no faith life at that time. I read Scripture and believed, but I was not pra- practicing my faith. I'm yeah. you know, a revert to the faith and uh, grew a cradle Catholic with a revert, but, uh, as a revert. But so many times that's what happens, and that's where I'm at. And I think that's why I'm so passionate about telling guys, don't do what I did. Yeah. You know, I made this mistake, but I don't want you to make the same mistake. The numbers are staggering when the father is plugged into the faith. Yeah. We see that. The I mean, statistics are crazy. Crazy, crazy yeah. statistics out there. I'm, I'm mass attendance and participation. And I, and I see it on a firsthand basis. And I feel like some of these are conversations that I've had, maybe not on, on the air, but uh, just that reality of – of uh, when I'm standing there at the altar 
and I look out, you know, at, from my chair or whatever, and I look out and I we're singing the Gloria, for example, and that's one of those times where we're singing, and it's it's always interesting. And the temptation is to kind of observe, okay, who's singing, who's not singing, who, who's participating, who's at least moving their mouth, who seems like they're thinking about the football game, uh, which is a dangerous assessment to try to make, and I don't do it every time, <laughs> but sometimes that goes through my head, and inevitably it's it's those individuals, those families where if the if the mother is singing the kids may or may not be singing along or participating in the prayers or the responses but if the dad is participating in the prayers and the responses and singing not always but the percentage is crazy as far as as i look at those families the number of the kids that are doing it um, and I have no explanation for what that is or wh- 100% why that is, but it's pretty blatantly clear that the dad has some some influence uh, over the kids that that mother's as nurturing and as loving and as good and as as leader you know as leaders within the household as they are as well. There's just something that that the father holds within the realm of spiritual leadership that inevitably carries over into the life of the kids mm-hmm. and I, and like i said i don't have a full explanation as to why that is but it's it's pretty clear standing up there how that works sure so and i think there's a i believe and maybe i'm wrong but i feel like there's a real correlation between families where the father's plugged in and um, and and, to, and the importance of getting more fathers plugged in, put it that way, because young men a lot of times will look and they'll see the women involved and say, this is church, it's a yeah. woman's thing. Yeah. And that, I think, has a direct impact on vocations oh, to yeah, the priesthood sure. because yep. they're not – they're not seeing anything from that, so yeah. um, there's there's not that desire that yep. you would hope would be there. So yep. uh, you know, there's so many so many factors, but yeah, for fathers to get plugged in, and that's there's a. Um, Actually, Greg Doring, who is a focused missionary, used to be, has really started a program kind of down there at a number of the parishes where it's just what you're talking about. Guys developing relationships, dad standing shoulder to shoulder watching a soccer game. One dad's plugged in, the other isn't. The dad plugged in invites the other one. You want to go have a beer? We just have beers on Thursday after the kids go to bed. We have a beer or two and just talk about guy stuff. And then it kind of evolves into a deeper relationship, and and they're having huge success with it. It's it just takes time to do that. Yeah. It doesn't, you know, that relationship doesn't happen overnight. For sure, so there's time involved. That's great to hear. We have some a few minutes left, Father. Uh, we want to talk maybe about some of the practical ways of continuing the process towards courageous discipleship. What would you say? throughout history? You know, it's in the Gospels the the three things that are that are characteristic of what I would say is a, a dynamic Catholic disciple, and that is, and this is going to sound like okay, duh, and it's been said over and over again, and I have no groundbreaking news for you as to how to go about it, but it's prayer, it's fasting, it's almsgiving. Those three things, they some way in our humanity uh, get at the sort of the core of holding back our human tendencies. That's what the fasting is about, is, is you can't be a disciple without discipline. And so fasting is, is hitting into that, into that discipline that we all need. And I, I see it. 
I'm horrible at fasting. <laughs> I should throw that out there. But I've just recently started uh, a little bit more so intermittent fasting, which is mm-hmm. kind of the rage now or whatever. But uh, I see those days where I'm in intermittent fasting and I'm, I'm going throughout the day uh, and saying no to that urging. It's amazing. Like, it's amazing how, how much easier it is to have control of your will when, when the Spirit touches you with, hey, say, you know, say some prayers. Uh, pray, pray your office right now. Uh, sit, sit with me for a moment in the chapel. Those promptings are not only so much more, uh, there's an awareness of them, but also there's this control of the will to be able to say yes to those promptings that mm-hmm. I have to admit at times I have not been very good at. Mm-hmm. And so that's one of the things that fasting does is it, it puts our will in line with our ability to say yes to God's prompting. And so that's huge in terms of our discipleship is can we engage discipline? And and it doesn't have to be, I mean, I think sometimes people cringe at the idea of fasting or it's an overwhelming idea of fasting. We think of it as sort of not eating for days on end or whatever. But the reality, the thing that I love about the intermittent fasting thing is it's, you know, it's 16 hours of fasting and then you have eight hours where you get to eat, you know, and get your calories in and all that kind of stuff. And it's it's kind of cool because you go through that period of discipline, but at the same time, you have sort of this, oh, I can't wait. I can't wait for a couple right. more hours when I get right. to actually eat. Right. And so anyway, that's just uh, one, one simple, I think, example, practical example. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously prayer, which I've talked about throughout all of this. And then, uh, and then almsgiving. I mean, throughout the history of the church, that has come back again and again and again and again. And that's what a good steward is. It's to recognize uh, stewardship. And I know that the danger of stewardship is the word stewardship is that it's all about finances and it's not. It's actually all three of these things. But part of the stewardship is recognizing that all that we have and all that we are is God's gift and that we're called to make a return to the Lord. And so that can be done through our parish community. That can be done through charities that can be done through Catholic radio and it can be done (laughs) in in so many different, so many different ways, but that is inevitably tied into discipleship as well, because it's saying, this is not ultimately mine and I have to make a return to the Lord for all he has done for me. And so all three of those, obviously, and those again are not anything new that people haven't heard. Yeah. Um, but but we all have to hear again and again. I mean, I don't know how many times I have to be re-encouraged in all three of those categories. Sure. So. sure. I, and I did hear somebody say, and it was a priest, I think, that said it, though, said fasting without prayer is just a diet. So yeah, we always, exactly. You know, we talk about the fact that, and that's something I do, too. I do some intermittent fasting and do try to fast certain days, um, I'm, but it's very hit and miss. So mm-hmm. I'm, but I'm trying to get back to doing that. Yeah. And, uh, it has so. been for me as well. As yeah. well. So yeah. but I, that's the encouragement is that we, okay, get back on the horse, get back on the horse again and again. So Father Jared, thanks so much for coming in. We certainly appreciate your time. Um, And uh, we, before you go, I got to ask, could you give us a final blessing? Uh, I would love to. And so we ask for God's presence uh, upon the KVDM radio stations uh, throughout our listening area. And we ask for your continued spiritual guidance upon them. Your blessing, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to Divine Mercy Radio. Whether you're listening via radio, computer, smartphone app, or 
Amazon Echo. We appreciate you tuning in to this week's Double-Edged Sword, cutting to the heart of a deceptive culture. If you would like to comment on today's show or have an idea for a future show, please go to dvmercy.com and click on the double-edged sword icon. And folks, Divine Mercy Radio is needing to raise funding to purchase equipment for a station in Salina. If you can help with this project, please go to dvmercy.com and click on Donate. For a $250 donation, you will receive a stylish Morning Glory mug, and we appreciate every dollar you can give us. You're listening to Divine Mercy Radio 88.1 KBDM Hayes, 88.1 KRTT Great Band, and soon 101.7 KDJM Salina. If today you hear his voice, harden not your hearts.